Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. This week on Far Stuff. Drones. Translated you as. You see what I did there? Drones. Yes. Yeah. I, I made a droning sound. Which. which is not why they're called drones. I am super clever. Why maybe, are they called drones? Maybe that is exactly why they're called drones. They do make that noise. They do. Have you ever heard a drone? Yeah, a very high-pitched sort of drone. I have yet to be spied on by the U.S. military, so I have yet to hear a drone, but I'm sure it's a matter of time. <laughs> that will happen someday. Yeah. So we have decided to go into the topic of drones, and already when you start getting into this topic, it gets a little... Interesting, even solidifying a definition for what is a drone. That sounds like a good place to start then. Wouldn't you agree? I would. would. Now, drones, I thought the topic was going to be fairly narrow. But we have this whiteboard, and it looks crazy. It's a huge area. A lot of the press and, and definitions we've seen have solidified drones as UAV or UAS, uh, Unmanned Aerial Vehicle. But uh, we did happen across a popular association that actually runs a conference every year for specifically on drones, the Association for Unmanned Vehicles International. And they've expanded the definition to focus on air maritime, and ground. Now, their their acronym is Unmanned Vehicles. They don't specifically say drones. So maybe we should allow them that. Yeah. But they, make the caveat that drones are, they are the flying IOT. Yes. They are our robots in the air. Well, they are more than just our robots. They need to definitely fit into our definition sure. for IOT. They need to compute, they need to connect, and they need to communicate which means I am strictly excluding any sort of fun little helicopters you get at the toy store that you man yourself. Nothing remote controlled. As we go into the topic of flying IoT, we focus on unmanned aerial vehicles. And yes. How they compute, connect, and communicate. Or also known as unmanned aerial systems, UAS. So if you see those acronyms out in the wild, UAS or UAV, we are considering those synonymous to drones. Absolutely. So from a computing standpoint, I think we're in agreement that it needs to compute where it is, where it's going, and where it can and cannot go or should and should not go. I think that's a that's a big part of the computing stance. Potentially. There's some degree of autonomy Absolutely. And we don't exactly know where that line in the sand is yet, but by the end of this podcast, we will. Absolutely. And we'll let everyone know. And there is actually a pretty big range for the drones that already exist with regards specifically to that area. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Some have a perimeter that they need to stay in, but they're allowed to move freely within that as necessary. Right, the geofencing. Others need to explore uh, openly, and they need to assess what is or isn't important to spend more time on, especially when we get into the exploratory and educational drones that exist out there. So there is definitely a sliding level of autonomy uh, when you start getting into the computing realm that makes things a bit more confusing. For sure. 
And it's, it's quite possible that over time they will become more and more autonomous and they will be given high level tasks like deliver this to there and it will know not to run into trees. For now, some of the less autonomous uh, drone solutions, I feel like are have more manual control. They need a little bit more uh, personal human attention, but they can do things like do all the computation so that no human is like controlling the propulsion directly, but they're more like go in this direction for uh, this long or this far. And to also be self-aware enough to know that their battery life only gives them a range of about 20 minutes. So if they start getting too far from the charging hub that they need to turn around and come back. Cool. Uh, Secondly, connecting. Uh, What we've seen a lot in the drones that are are very popular right now that are coming out is a lot of them are Wi-Fi connected. All of them tend to use GPS as a, as a way of really coordinating where they are. Makes sense. Uh, And we'll get further into the Wi-Fi one uh, when we, a little bit more into the different uses of drones. But right now, a lot of them are Wi-Fi enabled. And another uh, way that they connect is uh, RFID tags. So we've seen a lot of these drones tracking other entities that are tagged and and following using the RFID signal to determine where it should go and what it should do next. That makes sense. And if they have a payload, a lot of times the payload is also RFID enabled so that they know what they're picking up and what they're delivering. And what they need to be looking for. For sure. And I, I presume that military drones also have custom RF secure uh, ways to get commands and data to and from the drone. Absolutely. And those are probably not Wi-Fi. They're, they're something long range. I don't know that there's a long range standard for uh, consumer drones yet, but I imagine that's in the cards. Probably. Satellite is definitely used when you get into the government controlled, military controlled drones. There's, I think there's there's an unbelievable amount of ways that you can connect to these drones and that they can connect back. And I'm sure they're probably redundant in some cases, especially in the case of the military drone. So we have compute, we have connect, and now we have communicate. So how do these things <laughs> communicate, Charles? Well, they communicate in a whole bunch of ways. They are communicating with people, obviously. People are still in control of the drones. In a lot of cases, I think there's going to be web services that coordinate Drones, especially when we start talking about swarms of drones, coordinating swarms of drones to do things is going to require uh, some sort of back-end service that's responsible for that, sort of the conductor of the orchestra, if you will. And they're also communicating with each other. You've probably seen the YouTube videos of drones doing amazing things and coordinating, and uh, a lot of those have proximity uh, sensors so that they kind of know where they are in relationship to other drones. And once you get that close, Bluetooth low energy is also another nice addition to any sort of swarming scenario. Because drones are used across multiple disciplines and for multiple reasons, we've seen a lot of different types of sensors that, that came into these things. Uh, when, you, when you think about the military uses, commercial uses, educational, personal, the amount of sensors, pretty much if there's a sensor out there, it's probably on a drone somewhere for some purpose. Yeah, there's a really nice mind map by David Klein, where he kind of groups the sensors. And it's really quite amazing, the the collection of sensors that you could potentially have on these things. He splits them up into three categories, stabilization, navigation, and mission sensors. Under stabilization, you have things like parametric pressure, sonar, gyros, accelerometers, uh, things that we also have on our phones occasionally. And under navigation, you talked about GPS. 
Also things like uh, airspeed sensor, 3D sensors. Uh, you might have LIDAR, which is a, a sort of a laser radar, laser range finders mapping out the terrain. There's also things like mission sensors, which would include things like cameras. And he files them under mission sensors because it's his focus is on military. But of course, cameras are uh, very popular even in consumers. So I think we'll see them being a very popular kind of sensor across the whole range of drones. So the most common type of drone that everyone's really familiar with is obviously the military. Military drone attacks and uh, self-piloted drones to spy on our our enemies and our friends and our frenemies. Sure. And a large part of that, I think, is just the cost. Imagining someone having their own personal drone, even five years ago, is kind of crazy. So military and, and police use, industrial use as well. They made sense at that time when they were just too expensive to consider for personal use or for you know widespread commercial use. Absolutely. But you know now that drones are becoming pretty cheap to make, yeah, Moore's Law is is making drones available to all kinds of use cases that go far beyond military. Well, even under the police state, um, the LAPD recently announced that they're going to add drones to their arsenal for tracking. Ah. Um, so I, 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 my guess is a lot of other police departments will probably follow in suit once sure. we start seeing drones that happen to catch a drug deal in action. And then uh, it's just a matter of time before we become a police state. And that's okay. You know, the, the fact... Is that less, you know, less policemen in the air is, is probably a good, good thing for them and for us. And if drones help them do the job better and cheaper, you know, I'm happy with that. They do sound creepy, though. It's really creepy. I'm, I, I'm all for privacy. I don't, not about having a bunch of drones spying on us. In the... Well, but I don't know about your area, but police kind of, you know, they fly over Encinitas quite often. Do they? Yeah, and even that's pretty creepy. And I don't know why. I, I I can never hear what they're saying out the speaker. So I think it may just be joyrides, honestly. I, I don't know what my taxes are paying for. <laughs> All right. But if that's cheaper to send out drones and that, and that does some good, that's great. We'll have to see where the privacy concerns are, considering the, the recent frustrations by the general public with the NSA tracking online. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the American population will be a bit hesitant to also have cameras flying overhead at all times. and Yeah, I don't see conceptually the difference between a drone and a helicopter, but it is emotionally much creepier because in every movie, in every video game, drones represent Big Brother. That's true. And I think that that's the main concern. It's an extension of Big Brother. Sure. On a lighter note, though, uh, they have been uh, testing out a ambulance drone called the Air Mule that uh, the U.S. military is building in partnership with Israel by a company called Tactical Robotics. And this thing's actually pretty impressive. It's a beast of a thing. I bet. It's massive. It almost looks like a, a small floating Noah's Ark. And <laughs> it it they got it to take off and land and they have space for people in it. So Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And they had to make it pretty secure and pretty strong to handle because as in essentially it was going to be on the field mm. in the middle of a war and it needed to survive that. And I think the taking off and the flying part was really important to keep secure. And that's a great use. I mean, Oh man, anything that cuts minutes off of ambulance time 
and and it's fine that it starts with the military. That will trickle down to uh, benefit us at some point. That's wonderful news. Well, especially because it's unmanned, which means you're not risking lives to go save lives. Absolutely. And helicopter uh, pilots, I'd imagine, um, are not always handy. And so if you have a way that someone who's trained but is not necessarily a helicopter pilot can direct an ambulance toward uh, someone in need, oh, it's great. So we've got military. That's the first go-to that everyone thinks of when, Absolutely. when drone comes into play. Now, the, the next one that's gotten really a lot of press recently is Amazon. Oh, yeah. Their demo blew me away. Initially, I was like, well, that's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> and then I watched a video. And I was like, you know what? That's not necessarily the dumbest thing ever. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, if they can do that at cost and I can get a product in a couple hours, it's great. Well, why would you ever have any need to go to the store anymore? I barely do now. Honestly, <laughs> I barely do. And and I am an Amazon Prime member, so I am ready for my drone deliveries. See, I'm actually wondering if that's an absolute necessity. Are there really that many purchases that you need right now, except for maybe groceries? It enables a different class of purchases, it I does. would say. So I go to the store these days for things that I can't wait two days for. So, and they're dumb things like you need lotion or whatever, right? You run to the drugstore, but if that stuff, or you need a mic cable like we did earlier today, if that stuff was available by drone and it could be here in 30 minutes. And you wouldn't have to leave and you could keep doing what you were doing at home. Yeah. You spend, you know, if you leave somewhere in your car to go to someplace, quote unquote, close, it's still 45 minutes somehow, no matter how close the store is. So yeah, that could really change a lot. And then we'd have a, a sky filled with Amazon drones delivering packages. Mm, I'm a happy little drone working for Amazon. Yeah, that was my drone voice. I, it's improved since I, the first drone. What? Oh yeah, well that was a that was a contemplative drone. Sure, meditating. Mm. Th this was a happy, active gnome drone delivering drone. Yeah, I don't know what, what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, the next place drones are we've seen getting a lot of press recently is uh, the film and video arena. So if you've been to a concert recently, like Coachella or any major concert in the last few months, uh, you've probably seen some flying drones. Have you? Yeah. So these flying drones are showing up in all the major concerts as a great way to get some good stage footage and crowd footage without having to have a cameraman wow. out in there. So. And you see them everywhere now. I haven't been to a concert for nearly 60 years. So I didn't <laughs> I know that. I don't think that's actually possible. It's not, but but for a long time. So that's really cool. Yeah. So the thing is the film industry, unlike the entrepreneur innovation industry that just kind of throws a drone out there and starts trying to see what it can do. The film industry is actually trying to talk to the FAA and, and get official approval to use these for movies and concerts and Etc. Because they it's they are claiming it's significantly safer than actually having a, mm -hmm. a man operated camera in uh, various or places. woman or woman. Uh, it's it's a whole bunch of new creative options. Yep. Um, better shots. Better and different shots. That's I true. mean, you can only do so much with a copter. Yeah, and safety is a big concern as well. And drones would enable all this coolness and uh, 
without throwing up a giant helicopter with a helicopter pilot and a cameraman. Yeah. And people right now seem to be really digging it. I mean, it's become such a trendy thing. There's even uh, nightclubs now that have drones delivering drinks to people in the middle of the dance floor. So you wait, don't... that's not real. Yeah, there's a video. Oh uh, we'll post it on the blog. It's it's a lot of fun. And then India likes to take it a step further and actually has drones delivering pizzas. <laughs> now we're talking my language. So in essence, we're going to have a huge future of drones delivering pizzas, drinks, filming, watching, and, and pretty much delivering anything you need whenever you need it. Wow. This brings us to a point where there's kind of a gap between what's allowed as far as drone use goes and what people want to use it for. And the FAA is currently struggling with this, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but for the movie industry, the FAA is working on a proposed set of rules that would allow people using small drones, which they qualify under 55 pounds, to do what Hollywood wants them to do. And 55 pounds on the one hand is sort of small, but man, that's like a toddler flying through the air. Yeah, it sounds actually pretty big to me. I was expecting a small flying webcam would be the the realm that you want to go to. A lot of the real estate companies right now and construction companies are using drones to to monitor all of their different construction sites and, and as promotional material. And their copters probably don't weigh more than 10 pounds, sure. I'd say, at, at the max, even with four propellers and a camera centered in the middle. Even if you've got a really good heavy lens on it, it can't beat over 15, 20 pounds. Oh, so. I don't know. I mean, if you have a couple like giant red cameras with giant long lenses on them. Yeah. But they I think you'd need to heavy. have some innovation in the camera world, wouldn't you? Make the cameras lighter and better. I mean, your GoPro right now has actually got some pretty decent shots. It's HD. Sure. Throw a gro- GoPro on a helicopter and call it a day, no? No. That's nice Nice thinking, though. I think the problem is is not necessarily even the cameras, but the lenses. And there's yeah. there's really just no getting around that. And you're right. Sadly. A red camera is... Does weigh quite a bit. Couple of those, couple long lenses. You're yep. talking about some weight. And put something that actually has film in it, a film canister. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that will happen. But I'm I think sure. film's pretty much gone. But yeah. So speaking of kind of good uses and fun uses, things like exploring. Yes. Yeah. So using the camera is not just for commercial value, but a lot of drones right now are being used by archaeologists and cartographers for mapping and trying to discover new and exciting things. They're using a lot of those sensors that we mentioned earlier to scan for pockets underneath the sand in uh, certain areas under the ground to see if there's any sort of archaeological value. Right. They're mapping uh, areas that change over time. That would be a great use of LIDAR. Absolutely. There you go. And uh, probably more closer to home here in California, uh, they've started looking at drones to help detect forest fires. Right. We had a little swath of fires here recently in the San Diego area. And to watch the helicopters is truly a sight. I mean, you you really start to realize why, why these fires cost so much money. But with a swarm of drones catching fires early before they become these giant infernos. It's probably tough to overstate how much that could save. Well, the biggest thing with fires is catching them early. Likewise, on uh, other parts of the world, uh, they are starting to try to hunt hurricanes and plan and see if they can start predicting hurricanes sooner by having drones looking for certain activity in the Hmm. weather or in the ocean or in the Oh, so that's interesting. So if they have a barometric pressure sensor, the idea is that you'd send out a whole bunch of these to sort of do micro weather detection where 
in areas where they can't currently get enough of a um, concentration of fixed stations. That's really cool. Yeah, you could have a whole series of drones just kind of flying out uh, in the middle of the ocean when it's hurricane season. And it would start detecting early that there's certain trigger points that are happening. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. There was an interesting story about a man that wanted to start tracking feral pigs. So feral pigs are, are basically wild pigs that were coming onto farmer's land and wreaking havoc. Mm. And so his solution was to create a drone that would then report to local hunters where these feral pigs were to make it easier for the hunters to then eradicate the problem, I suppose. Mm. By making friends with the pigs? Uh, yes, I'm sure that's exactly what he was considering. I actually found that really upsetting. and <laughs> I thought that was really unfair. I thought it was about as unfair as letting uh, hunters go out with machine guns to hunt. But it seemed, I mean, I guess it's a much more efficient way to hunt when well, you're actually tracking the, the pigs. But I would have a concern that service may be abused beyond just uh, protecting farmer's land at that point. Yeah, I mean, once you put weapons on anything and give control over that thing to just a guy. Well, the drone wouldn't have the weapon. The drone then just reports to hunters that are oh. already out there. So it's just giving the hunters an edge. It's it's literally showing them exactly where all their targets are at any point in oh, time. Oh, so it's effectively replacing a dog. Yeah, it's, it's basically ro- radar for hunters. I'm okay with that. And these are the most annoying animals that we need to remove from this area. And so anyway, that got shut down. Oh, it got shut down. It did. It did. But that's kind of the the place that we see a lot of things going. There's a lot of this uh, DIY drones. There's in fact a website called DIYdrones.com where a lot of people are starting to build their own drones for a variety of purposes. And that just happened to be one of them. Yes. And this is going to be huge. I mean, the, the trickle down from the military to commercial to just being able to use it for exploratory purposes. And now it gets into personal and education. That's awesome. I, I definitely want to build my own drone. And there's a lot of drone brain projects out there happily. Even if you didn't want to build your own, you're, you're looking at retail costs between 2,500 and 9,500 on some websites. Robotshop.com, if you just go and and look for a drone. Under 10 grand, you can have your own drone to start with. Um, that being said, if you wanted to be more creative and develop your own drone, uh, there's DIYdrones.com. And there's even a book in Amazon about how you can become a drone entrepreneur. 30 businesses you can start. And uh, just quickly looking through these, there's definitely a lot that fit under farming. So there's drone winery. Oh, that's great. Drone crop dusting, drone archaeology, again, drone photography, firefighting, leasing, oil rigs, roof inspection, anti-poaching. There's just an unbelievable amount of drone businesses that they're recommending that you could start today. Right. So here it is. This is uh, Far Stuff telling you a great business opportunity right in front of you. Just go out and start building your own drones. So we've been talking about the drones, and and if you're like us, you're thinking about the hardware of the drones. But the other important half of drones is the software. Absolutely. So there's a lot of projects kind of becoming mature as drones come down in costs, as they become available to more people for more use cases. 
it's actually quite exciting. So even Microsoft is into the game. They have their own robot OS effectively, and they're giving away the authoring tools for that. And so even Microsoft, who has as of late been kind of behind on innovations that become popular, like things like tablets and, and probably things like smartwatches, they really seem to be ahead of the curve on robotics, which I find really interesting. On the open source front, there's some great projects out there. There's something called the Paparazzi Project, which is an open source autopilot system focused on inexpensive autonomous aircraft. Interesting. So there's a lot of these projects out there. Uh, another one is called Open Drone, which is a quadcopter as a project, but they all need the software part to do the things that an autonomous <laughs> flying robot needs to do. So, for example, they need to do things like identify objects, which is an extremely hard problem. They need to be able to do things like uh, figure out which ones are people. And once they do that, they can do things like face recognition. There's the potential of having them recognize gestures so that soldiers in the field, for example, could command a squad of robots flying through the air with uh, some waves of their hand, you know, or to kick off some sort of mission. Sure, sure. That's not the way I was going. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> My brain went down the paparazzi drone trying to take a picture in a certain gesture. Just oh, <laughs> You know what? That's coming too. It's like, wait for the movie star to flip off the drone and then snap a picture. And sadly, that's inevitable. Right. And then you could get it from probably five different angles because they'd be probably like just a thousand drones <laughs> just circling. That's why I'm not a celebrity. That's why. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. That's the reason. It's, it's actually incredible. So the sensor data coming in is this enormous number of streams of, of data coming from GPS accelerometers. And to turn that into a smooth flight path, an efficient flight path, one that avoids trees and hopefully recognizes them for what they are, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible challenge. And my hat is off to the folks working on these open source projects on these very ambitious goals. But I think, I think they will achieve them. Do you happen to know how far along they are? We're not at the point where these open source projects can be used for military or commercial applications yet. They're being used by hobbyists. We talked about sort of the sliding scale of autonomy, and, and the first part of that scale is really making it possible for people to fly these drones, when if they were under completely manual control, there's no way they could possibly do that. So it's sort of in the same class of problems as assistive braking. So instead of forcing people to pump the brakes in case of really slick roads, the brake just does the right thing. And that's sort of the, the class of problems that these projects are solving right now. It's like, we're going to allow you to very easily change altitude, change direction. If you were piloting this by hand, there's no way that you could possibly do it. Reading all the sensor data, synthesizing it, trying to figure out how to steer this thing. They just allow you to steer and it does what seems like the right thing. And because it's an open source project, it seems like you'll have quite a bit of brain power helping to figure out what what is the most effective way of translating sensor data into something that's a realistic picture of the world around them? Yeah, you'll have a lot of hobbyists pounding on it. I don't know whether they'll solve the hardest problems first. I think those will tend to be solved by military and commercial for those use cases first, but they will trickle down to uh, the open source projects at some point. Well, Microsoft is definitely interesting on the on the software side of things. In recent news, Google and Facebook have gotten into the drone game as well for the ultimate 
purpose of global free Wi-Fi. It's, it's the end goal of a lot of the major players coming out of Silicon Valley right now. I think it's great. I, there's so many areas of the world where just basic internet is, is not available and they're actually leapfrogging us in some ways. So for example, when it comes to things like electronic money and digital money, because they've never had basic banking systems, their monetary system is all being done through SMS and through the phone. And in the same way, I think the drone stuff could really leapfrog what's being done here in the sense that we have a lot of infrastructure for delivering products. Whereas, you know, in many parts of the world, FedEx is just not an option. And so you might have drones actually becoming popular for those more advanced tasks there than they would even here. So that'll be exciting to watch. Likewise, with certain areas of the world where there isn't already the infrastructure for internet and phone lines and and that sort of thing, having Google drones uh, and Facebook drones out there trying to give free Wi-Fi would also probably have them leapfrog. They'd instantly be up to a fantastic level of coverage and service without having to fight with the archaic systems we have in place right now. Yeah, or build towers. None of that. Or work out the politics of licensing. Absolutely. And work out who's going to pay for what. So Google right now released a little while ago a balloon, which was one of their concepts of how to send Wi-Fi out through uh, Africa, I believe is their target market. The balloon is called Loon. And it was essentially a concept of sending a series of hot air balloons out with uh, Wi-Fi signals that then connect across and uh, that people can put dishes or antenna on top of their houses and then that they can tie into the local Wi-Fi. Google then recently has been partnering with a couple of major drone companies and now they're released some specs on potential drones that would be solar powered and provide Wi-Fi. Likewise, Facebook recently purchased Titan Aerospace uh, with the same focus. Oh, right. I think that's incredible. And I guess the sort of the more traditional flying drones that you mentioned that Google and Facebook were working on, I've seen that concept for a while. And I guess the miraculous part is that now we can actually do it. You'd think we should be pretty close to doing it, considering what is already out there in the commercial space and the DIY drones. I definitely see that it's an interesting concept for how to to bring Wi-Fi around to remote parts of the world. And the loon seemed loony, if I can say that. It's a balloon, and you might wonder why we're kind of filing that under drones, but it's a smart balloon. It hangs out about 20 kilometers above the surface of the Earth, and it is smart enough to understand how to get where, based on its altitude, knowing that the winds travel in different directions and at different speeds at various altitudes. So this thing is is flying around autonomously by changing its altitude and catching a ride. It's pretty incredible. So presumably that happens at a slower speed than those other more traditional type of drones might, but pretty incredible stuff. Absolutely. And don't think that the drone market hasn't gotten into some fun areas either. When we were researching this topic, I came across a company called Chaotic Moon. And they have probably one of the funniest videos you'll watch on uh, drones. We'll link to it in the article notes. Absolutely. So their drone is called Cupid, which stands for Chaotic Unmanned Personal Intercept Drone. So if you've ever wanted your own personal security system... Rather than get yourself a Rottweiler that patrols your property, you can get yourself a Cupid. 
And uh, essentially, it's a drone that tases. Oh, my. <laughs> it tases unauthorized visitors to your uh, property. Wow. Yeah. So they have a hexacopter with a GPS and it, it does the geofencing to uh-huh. keep it on your property. Uh-huh. You cross into the perimeter uh-huh. and they decide that you are not a favorable entity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they zap you with like 80,000 volts or something. Wow. I, I actually don't remember exactly how, how many volts, but um, there's a video where they got their intern basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The joy of being an intern in a Silicon Valley company. It seems like a disproportionate response, but that's just me. Well, you know, it, cops use tasers and it, they're considered perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah, but but I don't think your neighbors expect to get tased when they come over to ask for a cup of sugar. Well, I'm sure there's a way to have it know who is acceptable. And- oh, sure. We just make all of our neighbors wear RFID tags. <laughs> Like, here, Scott, can you wear this around? If we're already being watched by all the drones, is it really next a step? Yeah, so 80,000 volts of awesomeness uh-huh. is how they put Excellent. it. Excellent. But yeah, and then they have a GoPro Hero 3 as as its eyes and LED system. Oh, anyway, so I'll, I'll link to this, but I thought it was a really interesting use for a drone is, is they really wanted their own personal, if you're going to have your own personal drone, it might as well be part of your security system. Wow. Well, as we know from Marvell's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Drones can be very small. Yep. So we may very well end up with our own swarm of tiny drones to go explore the property if we hear a weird noise. And why not, right? Yeah. DIY drones, uh, I, I know I've mentioned this site a few times. Some of the drones on there look and act much more like more sophisticated remote control planes mm-hmm. or helicopters. Um, mm-hmm. But s- some people have gotten pretty creative with their use of it. You can definitely see that they're, they're thinking down the commercial route. Very cool. So speaking of the commercial route, we've gone through quite a bit. So the film and video industry has been actively targeting the FAA with discussions, but Amazon more just started practicing and and kind of piloting. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Piloting their, their drones. If you look at the industry that's surrounding drones, the common thought is that the FAA doesn't quite know what to make of drones at this point. So they've been kind of quiet as all these drones start popping up and and becoming more and more popular. Right. But as of May 30th, there's rumors that the FAA is sending out cease and desist letters to anyone that has a drone that's of commercial or personal use not to fly it. But this actually comes into a, a pretty big legal contention. So if you look at the history of law, uh, for the most part, most of our history, law focused on owning land. That's pretty standard. We, we know what land is. We have a good grasp of how to use it. So that's pretty clear. But 1926 comes around and we now have hot air balloons and airplanes. And suddenly there's this whole concept of who owns air and who owns which part of the air and how does that work? So in order to handle this issue, Congress created what we now call the FAA and declared that air above 500 feet is considered public domain and therefore can be regulated. And so that's how we created this entire industry around regulating flight. Now, what happens under 500 feet? Right around World War II, the army took over an airport and the big military planes were flying over a chicken farmer's chicken coops in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And the planes were scaring his chickens, which then reacted to... 
Uh, I shouldn't be laughing. It's awful. But basically they flew into the walls of the coop and died. So it was completely, it was complete chaos. And so Thomas Cosby was the farmer's name. And so he sued the government and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And at the end, the court sided with Cosby, ruling that landowners own the sky above their homes up to at least 83 feet. So wait, these planes were flying under 83 feet? He was literally right next to the airport. So they were flying so close to the top of his house that the chickens were Dear Lord. Insane. Losing their minds. Absolutely. Their little tiny chicken minds. Yep. And uh, now we have a new problem. We have invented drones and a lot of them fly between 83 feet and 500 feet. Sure. And so you have public airspace 500 and above. And you have private airspace 83 and below. So that means if you do your own drone, if you create your own drone, you are welcome to fly it and play with it as much as you want on your own property under 83 feet. Hmm. But now we have a 417 foot gap that nobody knows who owns that air. And that's where the legal battles are destined to start any day now. As these cease and desist letters go out, I'm sure that particular gap of space is going to be the main contention point. Exciting. Yep. It'll be very interesting if the rules are sort of more along the lines of, you know, laissez-faire, try to encourage commercial use and see what happens, or if they start off kind of at the most restrictive level and then loosen them over time. I, I really hope they encourage a little craziness at first, because I think the people that are doing this kind of stuff are a little crazy. Yeah, but if you go to the extreme, there's always uh, the the naysayers out there talking about, you know, the, so many drones filling the sky that it blocks out the sun, and and now we're all... <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy talk. There's a lot of sky, but, I mean, that's a fair point, but let's wait till that actually becomes a problem. Well, knowing how the FAA has worked thus far, my guess is either they will try to take over the space so they can manage which drones go where in a safe way. But that being said, if our drones that we create have good enough computing power, Mm -hmm. they should be able to manage themselves without bumping into each other. They wouldn't need the FAA air controllers to tell them to go up another 5,000 feet so they don't run into another plane. Yeah, so that sort of implies that there must be a, um, some sort of network where things can like track where they are in time or some other methods for things to determine the proximity of other things in the air. Right. And that will be a huge, huge project. I think that's exactly what we were tackling with the Microsoft OS is that things that are flying need to have a way to sense what's around them so that they don't run into mm-hmm. other stationary things, but also other things that are flying. And be able to accurately assess where they need to go and and what that means. That weight limit is kind of extraordinary. You mentioned it before, but man, you know, something something that weighs 50 pounds flying through the air at 20 miles per hour is not to be trifled with. Right. It's definitely something to be considered. So in the next few months, it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. It's definitely come to the tipping point. When it, it, feels that, it feels that way. Like the tipping point for me, I think, will be when I see a drone every day. Yeah. I'll be like, something's happening. And I think that's going to happen in three years. And I'm sure that's why the FAA has now started to send cease and desist letters, because they're not quite sure what to do with these drones. And they're not quite ready to make up their minds either. So I think they're trying to just pause innovation (laughs) for a little while. But you're right. Absolutely. There are definitely safety concerns when you have flying objects that weigh that much that 
are controllable. That being said, DARPA recently announced that they have launched a hack-proof drone. Ha! <laughs> That's my response. Ha! So basically, uh, this is DARPA's response to a interesting situation that happened in the summer of 2012. So there were some uh, researchers at the University of Texas that showed it was possible to hijack a civilian drone with a custom-built device that cost about $1,000. Basically, they tricked the drone's GPS receiver and fed it bogus coordinates. And mind you, this completely flabbergasted the FAA and the drone makers. They just didn't even conceive that it was possible for someone to intercept and hijack their drone just by sending it bad coordinates. That is exactly the problem. Unless they can possibly account for everything that may or may not happen in the world. And may or may not influence their sensors. Hackproof is a terrible phrase. Did did they use that phrase themselves? I'm not sure if that's the exact phrase they used. (laughs) The problem may be the media. That's very true. yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to create uh, a robot that is invulnerable to large classes of attack and harden attack surfaces and, and make that less likely. But, you know, that that dial, you can turn it down and down and down and down and down. But at some point, you just can't turn it to zero. You just can't change the odds to zero that you will never be attacked, especially when humans are in the loop. Because, boy, you can, you know, at some level modify the microcode of a processing unit. And you can't even tell you've been hacked. So yep, and people get bored. And when you're bored, <laughs> might as get well bored. hack a drone. <laughs> Why not? And there will be serious money in it at some point. Maybe I'm not sure. today. Yes, today hacking drones may be a hobby. In the future, it will probably be a primary goal of many nations. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Hi, I'm Hi. Andrea Borcha. No. Wait, how do you pronounce your last name? I still want to go Andrea Borcea. I know, but that'd be wrong. I know, but it sounds so right. <laughs> we'll have to cut this out. I think so. I Dear think editor, think. please cut this out. <laughs>